late February, a cow-calf client who finished up calving about a week ago was riding through the pasture and found a comatose, unresponsive calf. After a quick call about this two-week-old heifer, we decided to bring her into the clinic. To find out more about this case, I've got Dr. Matt Meisner here on Bovine Science with BCI. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Happy to have you with us, but not happy to hear this case presentation because I think almost all of us have seen this and uh, bad things start going through your head, right? You got a comatose two-week-old heifer calf that comes in from the pasture. We know she's going to be cold. It's late February, and we start thinking about other stuff. What did you see when you first saw this calf? Pretty much a non-responsive, flat-out calf. So I think most of us are thinking we're either going to, done in a while, you're either going to look like you, you know, walk on water or you're going to fail miserably and then you're going to be into a whole bunch of and, and really nowhere in between right exactly. it's going to be right. one of those two right. things right. and your your initial nervousness starts with gosh i hope i can get a catheter in this thing so <laughs> that's my yeah. first thought is oh man that <laughs> that vein is going to be hard to find yep uh upside down how are we going to do it and i still vividly remember one of the first ones and i got out of school and took me like two hours to get a catheter in. And I tell students this all the time. I'm like, you know, it's, it's going to be hard when you get out of school. And I did finally get it in there and then got some fluids and it fell out. But it was a lot easier to get the I second I wonder if catheter. we all have that memory. Because I remember uh-huh. that vividly, too, on the one. And I remember the older practitioner said, uh, are you sure you can do this? And, of course, I said yes, <laughs> <laughs> not being sure at all. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how just little fluids helped the second time I had to get it back in. But um, but yeah, it's just it's one of those. So yeah, you have a lot of a lot of nerves going through, and and you're you're on a time crunch, right? So you've got this flat out cold, um, hypothermic calf that's in a, a hypothermic hypovolemic. We're thinking scours. Yep. Right. I mean, is there is there anything else that pops into your head, or, or are we going immediately to probably scours? Oh, I think we still do our full physical exam, make sure mom didn't step on it. I kind of look at you know limbs and heads and make sure they didn't get stomped on, stepped on, or whatever you know. And and we always take a temperature to see if they're not super febrile. You know, most of these scours calves are not going to be, but I've had a couple that we looked at and. And at temperature 106, 107, you go, oh boy, more likely a meningitis or something. So we do a full physical exam, but yes, absolutely, um, scours is on top of our list. Well, and in some of these cases, depending on the location, time of year, they may be a little bit low temp because they've been laying out, they haven't been nursing, they haven't been protecting from the wind, they're feeling like crap, so they've, they've got cold temps. Do you do anything to address if they're really low temp to bring them inside warm them up anything specific you do so i think that yeah a lot of them are hypothermic and some of them can be severely hypothermic so there's a whole bunch of debate actually i think i can find a little bit of information on how to rewarm calves right so sometimes i call them popsicle calves where we just they may not be scouring but they were certainly extremely hypothermic maybe not even register on a thermometer um and then how do we rewarm them you know we talk about water baths or we talk about calf uh these little calf um boxes that'll warm them up i think that it's it's going to be a combination thereof right so you think about the water baths and if i dunk them in a water bath i've got a lot of warmth and then that's going to shift vascular per, uh, perfusion to the peripheral and maybe that's going to decrease central right so maybe i don't i'm not a huge water bath kind of person um, i tend to like to warm them in a nice warm ambient and then warm them from the inside out if i can so oral electrolytes if we got them you know if they are able to hold yourself up or iv and so warmth from the inside and outside but i'm a little bit 
apprehensive on the on the warm shock thought. And again, I have no data on that, um, but I'd like to get some, get a little bit more, and see what we can do. But um, I just worry when they're so hypothermic that a, a contact warmth might be a little bit too much for those guys. Yeah, that makes sense. So at least. So bring them in, and, and yep. we're kind of mixing two things because in in this case we're going to go a little more towards scours. Yeah. But if it's just cold, bring them in, warm them up. I like your approach inside and outside. We we have a little hot box, so we put the calves in, which are nice, uh, keeps them nice and nice and toasty. And then in this case, we know we've probably got a scour situation, so it's probably not just cold. But um, we know we're going to give some specific fluids to treat the scour, so why not warm those up as well? And, and how warm do you make them before you... Oh, we're in an incubator. I have to look at our incubator, but, you know, certainly less than less than body temp by all means, but, um, but warm. But know. warm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to this case. So this calf comes in. You talk to the owner. They've had some scours cases the last few weeks. This calf has the old classic pasty behind and is basically out of it right so we've got a little bit of the cold we just talked about but i want to focus on the scours part what's the first thing you do with this little guy after your physical exam and you're saying yes it's scours so there's some you know we we do if some clients want to know the bug right and and i think oftentimes we we pick on the bugs more i think to give students a list of differentials at certain ages but i don't know that it's all that useful practically but it definitely gives them a thought on what bugs we need to be paying attention for and so you know this one's a couple weeks it could be anything from crypto to rota to corona to unlikely it's an e coli but it could be any of those and but a lot a lot of them are there in the environment for from the cows it's coming from the animals that are there a lot of them are there farm to farm and many of them, we think about, I mean, one thing that comes up is zoonotic potential. Well, I think any of the yeah. scours things that are transmitted fecal orally, we probably want to keep out of our mouths. Yeah, wash your hands. <laughs> is that a fair statement? Yep, absolutely. Wash your hands. And, and so sometimes we'll pull that in case a client wants to analyze us. We'll get that. There's some pretty good estimates just looking at ocular eyeball globe recession around the eyelid. So we'll sometimes measure that and um, see if we can estimate... A, percentage dehydration okay so we can look at that to give us a sort of an objective measure on that we usually pull blood and i'll kind of explain that here in a little bit why we might want to have an objective measure of the degree of acidosis that these calves are suffering from so we'll usually pull that but we know empirically where this calf is what it's going to need and so we can pop a catheter in and we can usually start them on an isotonic bicarbonate solution and um, that's going to be our mainstay we sort of have a have a plan for that and so um, so isotonic bicarb is your first if you're pulling fluids out that's your first one for the scour exactly calves. for these scours calves and we can and i would say we can estimate a base deficit on these guys so based on the body weight times it's a, a constant of 0.3 to 0.6 um body weight in kilogram time their percent dehydration and that can estimate um or our estimated base deficit and that gives us a base deficit to replace so we know how many milliequivalents of bicarb we need and the isotonic solution is kind of nice because we know we have about 150 milliequivalents per liter which is kind of nice and you can measure that and we can make that with distilled water and baking soda and there's some nice ratios looking at i think it's like uh, 52 cc's or so of baking soda per gallon that we mix. So we know how to make that really easily. It's easy to make. It's fairly cheap to administer. 
and we know how many milliequivalents are in each mill, which is kind of cool. And so we estimate the weight, the base deficit, and we start administering that bolus. And we'll give a quick bolus, and then we'll try to correct it over the next four to six hours. So we, we know where we're going to be on just fluids, right? So that's kind of nice with that one. So let me go let me go back to some of that math before you go forward. So So on the... You said to figure out the base deficit, it is percent dehydration of the calf, which I'm using globe recession, some of the other stuff, to give me a ballpark percent dehydration. It's actually percent, kind of our, our base deficit estimate. So we have body weight in kilograms, and okay. then, yeah, and then actually it's usually the fluid volume, and so the younger calf, somewhere the, the ratio, the, the, the constant is going to be body weight in kilograms times either 0.3 to 0.6. And the the younger the calf, the more water they have, so it's a little bit higher. I usually used to use 0.5 because that's something I can calculate in my head. So I have body weight in kilograms times 0.5 times my estimated base deficit. And that'll give me my, so if a normal bicarbonate uh, in serum and calf is going to be low in a normal say 22 or so, and I'm estimating it at 10. So I now got a 12 base deficit times that 0.5 times uh, the body weight in kilograms, and that gives me a pretty good estimate on base. Um, their overall fluid volume um, is percent dehydration based right. on kilograms. Gotcha. So that, that and that might be so the two the, two things yeah. that you're calculating there: the yep. base deficit and the overall yep. fluid. Yep, and it's hard to. We're going to have we're going to be pushing it to get their fluid deficit, but we can certainly correct their base deficit. And I want to correct that before I over volume load them too. So. And how, how did you estimate the base deficit? So that's going to be, so this is where we measure it. So this is why we've got to where we'll actually pull some blood and getting objective measure of the the TCO2 or the bicarbonate, whatever is in our parameter. These estimates of bicarbonate, when you look at the patient, can throw you off. We recently had some calves that were walking around. So normally we would, um, they were walking around with a bicarbonate in the single digits. So normal, low normal is 22. These guys were like five or six. And I have videos of them walking around. And so usually when you estimate, a, when you have a base deficit such as that, the textbooks might say, no, no, this one's going to be lateral, laterally recumbent um, versus sternal recumbent. And oh my gosh, you know, so it's hard to truly sometimes estimate the true base deficit. So we will oftentimes just get a quick measurement um, with an ISTAT, which is a uh, calf side blood analyzer that you can get, a little expensive, but now we have an actual objective measure of base deficit. We know how much to correct to replace that. We're not gonna over alkalinize them, which is sometimes a problem. Um, we're gonna correct that deficit with a quick volume and then get them back to going. And I, I think it's helped the efficiency of how we can resuscitate them it may add, I think, 20, 20 some bucks to the to the therapy, but yeah. But if I'm deciding to do therapy on these calves, right? That's I'm I'm making an investment anyway, and you're advocating because I guess I'll I'll throw out there what I've thought before is not all of these calves have a base deficit or acidotic when I'm presented with the scours case, and I haven't personally spent a lot of time worrying about that unless they're down and on their side and what you're just telling me is i may be missing the boat on some of these yeah. calves yeah i mean it's it's just such a coin flip we have some that aren't you know have a total base deficit they maybe have a high lactate which is another thing that's a little bit uh, you know, just it just needs some fluid volume but maybe not bicarb um and so it's nice to have that just quick objective measure and nowadays the cost of just supplies is crazy so catheters and fluids and all those have gone crazy regardless and so what i'm trying to do is get the best bang i can for using those supplies and getting this guy's uh, client's calf back up and so and part of that bang comes from knowing that they've got a base deficit or no or not 
exactly. Yeah. And so that's nice. So we do pull blood, we get a fecal, we throw catheter in, we start a shock dose of fluid. So it's just as quick as you can type bolus with usually about the first liter or so or two, depending on the size of the calf. And it's hard to over volume load them. So as long as they have a decent protein, so we're hoping that they got some decent colostrum when they were born um, and they can hold those fluids, but a quick shock dose is kind of nice. And then we just carry it out for the next couple of three hours. So, and you're, you're say you start with isotonic with sodium bicarb, right? Yep. Is, is what you're start with. Do I have to worry about giving that too fast or is not, there? Not really. We've, we've got some leeway with a liter or two. So we can we can give first that, couple liters. Don't yeah, worry about it. Yeah. Then after that, yeah. then you probably need to do some math. Yeah, slow it down um, just to make sure you don't overload them too much. But that first few couple liters is not going to problem. I want to go. I want to take one step back. So, give me the inside tricks on. So some of these calves really hypovolemic. I've got to start the IV. Do you have any tricks that you use? Do you cut down? Do you not cut down? Do you have something that you when you're teaching students how to do this? What, what do you tell them on, on starting those IVs? Oh, I just show them how I can do it blindfolded behind my back, and then that just gives them confidence. <laughs> and, then, and then they can do it the easy way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, we we try to position them. I always set yourself up for success. If you're if you're if you haven't tried every way to see if you can get that vein to rise, don't start just poking. Because once you start poking. Um, you start getting some hematomas, you start getting things. So we'll pace them in a good lateral. Um, sometimes we'll hang their head or the jaw just over the edge of a table. Some would say that potential, and it might help to elevate their rump or their back end just a little bit to get a little bit of a pooling of blood in that jugular. That sometimes help clip it, you know, clip it, um, make a good clip. That hair is going to grow back. So clip it really well um, so that you can see the whole jugular furrow. Hold it off for a while. So it's not just going to raise like a healthy hydrated critter. We're not going to be able to put our thumb over that and watch that vein come up. Sometimes it takes a while to pull it up. So um, different things like that will help help make it better. I don't do a cut down. Um, you can do a quick stab right over where you think that vein's at so your catheter slides in easily. Practice with catheters. Those are important. Um, sometimes it's, we've had a couple, we just put them in an ear vein. Sometimes that'll rise a little bit quicker so I can now get a little bit of, um, fluid load to see a jugular better. Cephalic veins. So just like a dog, cat, occasionally we'll throw them into those if that's what I can see. Um, but I think usually it's going to be jugular catheter. Usually we're using about a 16 gauge, three and a half inch needle, uh, uh, catheter, which is that's pretty standard. Just ask. Yeah. And it's usually something that's reasonable to get in. It's not huge bore, not super long, and catheter type. You know, I think for veterinarians, they got their special type. And I tell you, we seem to have a, a type of catheter at one point that works great. Next thing you know, the next batch are kinking like a son of a gun, and, and they're no fun. So we occasionally will go to an over-the-wire catheter or J-wire type catheters, which are nice. Um, I've seen some cool ways to make your own. So um, you can do some... Um, um, uh, IV tubing type things you can make your sort of over the wire type catheters a needle plus a wire and try to get catheters in that way sometimes that's what it takes but um, it can be a little tricky at times you're right it's just um, really hypovolemic dehydrated calves and once you once you get used to it it's it, it becomes your way right you, yep. you do the same thing over and over you mentioned the the make your own so I want to talk about in two areas both um, IV fluids you mentioned there's some ways to make the sodium bicarb that we want to do and then i want to come back to some of the 
make your own oral electrolytes. But let's start IV. What are, what are your thoughts and what, what are the, what do I need to have on my shelf to be ready for scouring calves this spring? So I think um, either sterile water or distilled water. So we'll use distilled water. Um, there's still some risk. You talk about potential endotoxin, those kind of things, but um, gallons of distilled. You can use baking soda. Uh, ideally, it's best to use uh, um, commercial grade or medical grade um, bicarbonate, which is about the same price. If you get it from some of the chemical companies, you can get a bicarbonate that's a little bit more specific for that, a little nicer, um, but you can use baking soda if need be. Um, and you just mix those up and you calculate those ratios. We make, we put them in little bags, so they might be 50, um, I think 50 gram baggies that will fit into a gallon. So I don't have to worry about measuring these out on a scale. I just pop the baggie, pour it in the jug, pop it in. There's a little trick on getting your So IV. you basically get everything prepped. You've got those things yep. on your shelf. So I don't have to do math or anything before I right. put it together. Yep. And that's why I'm having trouble calculating because it's been in the baggie for so long. So <laughs> I just, um, um, you just pop it, mix it, um, and then pop your IV line into that. Um, sometimes it'd be a little tricky getting them into the plastic jugs, but you work out some ways to pop it in quickly so it doesn't leak all over. I've seen some bell set, bell, bell, uh, bell catheter type setups, you know, the reusable IV tubing, mm-hmm. you can do those. Um, just have to have some way to get that gallon jug mixed up. And you see, it's easy just to go with the gallons because you know you're going to have at least four liters in about any calf when you figure those deficits. And so um, it's just the easy way to go. And, and anything else besides the bicarb that goes into that distilled water? Do you, any other electrolytes you're worried about? So early calves like this one, usually not. Um, the older the calf, the longer the duration of the diarrhea, then we start worrying about potassium levels as well. And as we talk about that physiology with acidosis, they pee potassium so they can have a total body deficit of potassium. So occasionally we will still go with isotonic as a bolus to get that corrected, but then we might have to administer potassium. And that's one's a little bit narrower safety threshold, right? So there's a, there's a rate that can be uh, that has to be adhered to before it becomes toxic and stops the heart so kcl at a certain rate has to be important i believe that's 0.5 mil equivalents per kilo per minute or something like that per hour so i have to but anyway there's there's a ratio you have to be sure you don't give it too fast so once we once we get that started and and like you said you're going to do some blood work confirm are they really what is their base deficit so i can figure out how much to replace over time but for most of your scouring calves, that's your that's your fluid of choice. Do I need to have any other options on my shelf for uh, other scenarios? Well, sure. And then we have a bunch of commercial uh, ringers and Normasol. So those normal uh, isotonic electrolyte solutions okay. are good. Yeah, those are great. And so those then you can just tap into one of those to have a nice balanced solution if we're going to keep them on longer. And some of them need it. Some of them need a little bit more fluid over time. Once they have their base deficit. Yep. Correct. Okay, the other area I was going to ask you about, so that makes anything else on fluids? Nope, I think we're good. You know, rate, volume, estimates, and again, we may not repeat that in most calves, but if somebody's not responding, I might have to run another chemistry to see what I'm missing. You know, there might be something else going on with that. So I'm going to go back to, let's say we go back to this operation. Obviously, this calf needed IV. There are other calves on the farm that may be depressed, alert, responsive. They're still up. They're still doing some stuff, but they've got scours, and I want to treat them with a, an electrolyte. There's a bunch of stuff. If I if you go to the store or you talk about different products that are available, there's lots of products available all the same, or there's also lots of 
recipes in our old recipe book mm-hmm. of what we can put together and make ourselves and we've heard different things does it matter or is it just i get fluids in calf totally it matters a lot and it matters a lot and there's a lot of uh, research and data coming out on oral electrolyte solutions and so really what i want to do is try to prevent this calf from needing a catheter and so the thought would be that if they're still ambulatory they've got some diarrhea maybe they're showing some signs of early dehydration or not we have some recommendations on oral electrolyte solution replacement therapy in these calves. And what has tons of, uh, of information has arisen over the years. And what we were told, you know, in vet school and some of these solutions, these premixes and things that we could do may not be um, the best and um, potentially could be detrimental. And so I think we look at those and we think now, you know, a lot of those calves, well, well gosh, I mixed that up and they got better. And what we know, and we all know that sometimes our patients get better despite, despite what we do. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, so it happens. But um, there's a bunch of, especially one specific uh, researcher has come up with some direct measurements of osmolality and protein in the fluids and the, the uh, alkalinizing type, so an acetate versus a bicarbonate, looking at what's the best, and these ratios are important. And what we find is that some electrolytes are just randomly thrown together can be too high in sodium they may not have an alkalinizing agent and these can actually throw off calf electrolytes it is really hard to even correct them intravenously so those can be bad they can be too hypertonic they can have not an energy source they may not have uh, an alkalinizing source and or metabolizing thing they can be problem and so you got to be really careful about what you mix up and what you use and there's some very cost effective solutions out there where can where can i go to find a guideline on what works what doesn't do you have a good reference resource absolutely yeah um and i'd tell you that um in any you know veterinarians you can contact any of us and we can sort of help you with uh sources but there's vet clinics in north america that has a wonderful summary plenty of your continuing education uh sources will it's it's a, such a common topic that um, many of those will will speak about those dr Reppert spoke about them several times and then we usually come up with the list and it has a comparison of different electrolytes and i there's some great tables out there. there's a vet clinics north america and uh, i don't think it's the last several years that has come out that has it's really up we'll, get, to date. we'll get a link we'll put it in the show notes yeah we'll get some links um and there's some specific uh, articles that i can definitely put in that kind of a link that are worth looking at and reading so. so it does matter, and it matters yeah. a lot, and it's changed because one of the other things, so you, you talked about, because when we were in vet school, there, there was a time, or at least what I understood was, if we have to put him on oral fluids or I'm tubing the calf it, to, to give him his electrolytes, then I may want to hold him off milk for a little bit, or I may want to change his how he's getting his nutrition, but today... What would you say relative to, let's say I've got a calf that I'm tube feeding, I'm giving electrolytes and I'm giving milk replacer to, what do I need to do? We might offset those a little bit, but we certainly don't hold them off nutrition anymore. I mean, that's, they need they need the energy, they need the, the protein, they need that kind of stuff. There's some of that in the electrolytes, but we might offset it just a little bit so we don't overload their stomach. Um, and we can get some absorption and, and go from there for sure. I think and in, in plenty of the cow-calf situations, they're going to go back on mom anyway. So, um, And some of these bases or these alkalinizing agents won't affect, you know, milk curd formation and some of those other absorptive things as much as we thought, you know. So I think that's nice. Um, so we do offset it as best we can. 
but we still keep them on. You're, you're talking yeah. offset it, by time, a couple yeah. hours apart if yeah. we can. Or I mean, more. if the if the little bugger's flat out, and I'm probably not going to give him any milk just because he's probably not going to absorb it anyway. I mean, he's probably just going to sit in his stomach. And so as long as the calf is alert, aware, mobile, those kind of things, we're definitely going to keep him on some food. And uh, we don't want him to get energy deficient on top of those. Yeah, excellent. So really good information here on scouring calves. What do I have on the shelf? What do I get ready to go? I guess I'll, I'll ask you do, so we talked about fluids, we talked about electrolytes. One of your important take-homes, which I think is critical, is figure out what that base deficit is because some of what we've thought we could assess visually, I can't assess as well visually and I've got to get that back together. Anything else you, you treat these guys with as we go through the process? Antibiotics are up in the air. So if they're not febrile and they're not looking sick, we rarely will give antibiotics. Um, just because we know we don't need it uh, to kill with her. If we think we have some respiratory problems, we'll do that. Um, Anti-inflammatories, there's some work now being looked at as how painful is scours. And some folks, if you've had extreme case of crypto, think you have some pretty good gut cramps. And so there's some data actually research being done now here at K-State looking at the potential for need of analgesics. So anti-inflammatories might help out just a little bit too. Um, But mostly it's going to be fluids, electrolytes, and having a good calculation so that you know, and again, it, you may have a client that you you have a, a number of cases that you measured, and they're all standing pretty same. You can estimate a little bit better that way too. But I, I'd still encourage folks to do a little bit of a little bit of objective measure on those on those calves. Absolutely, very helpful information on a very common topic. Thanks for sharing with us, Dr. Meisner. Appreciate spending some time with you. Thanks.